in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, there will be injustice. In this world, there will be unkindness. In this world, there will be cruelty. So good morning. Yeah, I'm part of the Good News Express. <laughs> My name is Graham, if you don't know me. And I'm, uh, I want you to know that it's better when you're here. And I'm glad that you're here today. And you can follow along with what we're going to do today at into1.ca. We have a section called Latest Message Notes. You can follow along there on the handout. And we're going to be continuing our series called Deconverting, where we're examining some of the big questions, some of the big uh, doubts surrounding God and Jesus and the Bible and Christianity. And the plan all along was to make sure we got to where we get to today, the tension between God and pain, God and sorrow, the devastation in the world, sorrow. And without me telling you, it has come to your attention that this is one of the most difficult topics when dealing with God and our world. And if we are just if you're just jumping in on this series, you need to know that you've missed a couple. Um, but please let me encourage you to go back. Again, listen to them into one.ca under messages. There's a message archive, and you can listen there. You can catch up. They're all there for free. And then if you're there anyways, why not take a look around and see if there's anything else that might interest you there? Um, because those things are available for you to help you, to encourage you, to, uh, to give you a place for discussion, that sort of thing. And if you are interested in this idea of still pursuing faith or trying to put faith in order, trying to figure out what that all looks like, to build your understanding of what it means to be a Christian, if that whole category is kind of interesting to you, then I would highly recommend the other series, another series there called Basecamp. And Basecamp is, is sort of formed the same way deconverting is that it's a one week that piggybacks on, on the week before. They're really designed to go together, not designed to really be standalones, but it will help you put together some of these pieces. So if you are just joining, we're, uh, we're late middle um, of this series, but we're excited that you're traveling with us. So if you're, you've been the whole time, great, nice to have you here. If you're jumping in, come on in. Today, we're going to focus on a word that's become super popular in our, uh, in our world, and it is injustice. The problem of pain and suffering and injustice in the, in the world is, is probably the biggest ongoing thing that comes to remaining faith in God and what do I do with pain and, and how do I put those pieces together? And, and many people have, have stepped back from God, not necessarily into atheism, but, but more people have stepped back from God because of their inability to reconcile good, loving God Injustice, pain, and suffering. It's been the bigger, there is no larger problem in our world for, for dealing with that. It is the biggest deal. But what you need to know is that it is primarily a big deal for Western people and first world country people. This is a big issue for Canadians and it's a big issue for Americans. It's a big issue for some Europeans. But for those of you who have traveled around the world, um, uh, for those of you who uh, try and keep in touch with our international workers, or for those of you who have gone on one of those uh, opportunities, an experiential mission trip, that, that you've been exposed to uh, extraordinary poverty, what you have found there is that you often find extraordinary faith and, and, and not extraordinary doubt. 
But the argument goes pretty much like this, and you probably heard it. If he's good, he would. If he could, he would. If God is good, then he would get rid of all pain, suffering, and injustice. If God could, all pain, suffering, and injustice would be wiped away. So the argument goes that he either lacks the good or he lacks the could. Um, or, or maybe you just get to the conclusion, well, that's the case. Maybe there just is no God. And if there is a good God and there is so much pain and suffering in the world, obviously he can't do anything about it, right? Which means that he's not almighty, which means that he's not really God. So if there is a problem with his ability or a problem with his willingness, clearly there is no good God controlling and running the universe. There is therefore no God. That's the way the argument flows. Now, today I want to address specifically the logic behind this assumption. But before I do, of course, you need to know that this is never the sort of thing that you would ever talk about someone who's in the midst of pain, okay? Don't ever do that. Um, so here's a footnote. We're going to talk about this as a concept, not about as a specific answer to your pain. Um, I want to caution those of you who have ever decided that you wanted to use pain and suffering uh, of yours or pain and suffering in the world to argue against. You've, you've, you've leveraged suffering in the world um, to argue against your personal relationship with God. If you've ever leveraged that kind of suffering, you say, how could there ever be a good God because look at all the pain, suffering, and injustice in the world. If you've ever done that, I just want to say something to you specifically, whether you're here or whether you're listening, um, proceed with caution when commandeering other people's pain to build your case against God because it's insulting. You, you don't mean for it to be insulting, so I don't mean to insult you by saying that, but it is insulting because the truth is that suffering for many, many, many people in the world now and in the past, that suffering path leads them to God, not away. And this is a really big deal. So if, so if you've not walked in their shoes, don't assume your destination on their story. If you've not experienced their pain and their suffering, do not hijack, do not borrow from, do not commandeer someone else's pain and suffering to draw your conclusion about God. And you're free to leverage all of your pain, all of your suffering to draw a conclusion about God, but try not to commandeer somebody else's pain and suffering. So please don't insult people in that way. And I, know, and I know you don't think that you're insulting, and I know you don't mean to be insulting. That's just the way that it comes up to sort of argue with them about their experience. So now I mentioned that right up in the very, very front because I am almost sure, I am very close to being completely sure that you have heard someone do that. It's a common thing. This is absolutely the case for those, that group of people that we discussed in week one, the new atheists. They are so guilty of this. They just throw the, the, the whole uh, large net over everyone else's pain and suffering and they use it. They say, look at all the pain and suffering in the world. And because there's pain and suffering in the world, there can't be a good God. To which I would say, you know what, you, you, you need to talk to each of those people who've been experiencing that pain and suffering in the world. So what you might discover when you have that conversation with them is that extraordinary suffering often leads to extraordinary confidence in God. It doesn't always go the way that you would want it to. So be careful when you use other people's 
pain and suffering to draw your conclusions about God. A great example of this is the geneticist Francis Ford Collins. He headed up the Human Genome Project, and if you don't know exactly what that means, this is shorthand for he's really, really smart, okay? He serves currently as the director of the National Institutes of Health. And he wrote a book called The Language of God. And this is where uh, he, the subtitle is, A Scientist um, Presents Evidence for Belief. And he actually embraces what is termed macroevolution. And yet he's still a conservative Christian. If you didn't think a person could believe in any way uh, in, in evolution and, and, and be a conservative Christian, well, then read his book and let him bend your mind a little bit and you can say that. If, if science has been the reason that you decided that you couldn't be in faith, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't have God, then read some Francis Ford Collins. He's a super bright guy. And the, and the reason I bring the book up, the, the reason I bring up Francis Ford Collins, like specifically his story, is that in this book, he tells um, about a situation in his life and how to reconcile um, suffering with a good God. In the book, he tells the story about, uh, just a briefly tells the story about his college-age daughter who was sexually assaulted. And he talks about his struggle, not with believing in God and, and, and not with the presence of God, but with forgiving the perpetrator. The, the point is that if, if you're ever tempted to, to leverage a story like that, that we agree is like, well, that's horrible, take that, that story and pain and suffering in the world and, and, and make that an argument against God, people like Francis Ford Collins would say, don't you use my pain to your end. Um, that pain did not move me away from God, did not move me from my faith in God. It is actually part of my confidence in God. So that was just your, your, your footnote to start today, right? That part comes absolutely free. Um, you didn't have to pay extra for that. Now, for today, injustice, uh, injustice and suffering in the world is not really an argument for or against anything. Pain and suffering in the world is not an argument against God's existence. It is actually a reminder that we need God. There is no rational argument against the existence or involvement of the God of Jesus based on injustice in the world. It is an emotional argument. And when you hear it, when you hear people make it and they tell the story, especially when it's based on their own personal experience, you get it. You understand the pain. You, you, you fully embrace that confusion that's there. How could a good God allow? And how, how could a loving God let this? How, how could a just God sit by? And, and, and all of us can totally understand the argument and, and our, our empathy. Um, it allows us to enter into that pain with that other person. And that pain almost always brings disorientation. But past the emotion and past the incident, there was actually no argument to be made about the existence of the God of Jesus. And we talked about that last time. So if you weren't here or you don't remember what we talked about last time, again, please go back. Check it out, message archive in into, at intoone.ca. All of them are free. Go back and listen. The, the pieces come together there is no rational argument against the God that Jesus presented to us 
based on injustice in the world. There is an argument to be made against other non-Christian versions of God based on pain and suffering in the world. But there is no argument to be made against God as he is presented to us by Jesus based on pain and suffering. And here's why. Because Christians have never made an argument for God's existence based on a world where bad things never happen to good people. We mentioned this in passing a number of weeks ago at the beginning. There has never been an argument made by Christians who say a good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people. Since bad things never happen to good people, there must be a good God. No one has ever made that argument. No one's ever said anything like that. A good God would not allow injustice to happen to a just person. Since uh, unjust things never happen to just people, clearly there must be a just and good God. Well, no one's ever made that argument, right? It's never, ever come up. So the whole idea of just sort of throwing all of the injustice in the world and saying, well, obviously God doesn't exist because of this. It doesn't hold water. It's emotional. It's powerful. It is moving. It is difficult. But it is not rational. If you want to be honest, injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God. And this is a really, really big deal, okay? In case you haven't noticed, there is injustice in this world. And Christians claim to worship a good, holy, righteous God who was all about right things, who was all about love. So the fact that there is pain and suffering and injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, but not the existence of God, which means it would make more sense to be angry than atheist. It makes more sense to be angry with God if you're just so good and you're so just, then why is there this suffering? It makes perfect sense to be angry with God. It doesn't make sense to be atheist because of pain and suffering in the world. It makes more sense to be disappointed in God than to completely disbelieve because there's a difference between arguing for existence and examining your personal experience. They're two different things. The, ex the existence of God is different than your personal experience of God. And here's what I mean. The classic argument for the existence of God from a Christian point of view goes a little something like this. I wish I could sing it for you, but I can't. Something exists. Something can't come from nothing. Therefore, there is a necessary first cause. Something exists, even if it's just you. If you're the only thing, you are a something. Something exists. Something can't come from nothing. Therefore, there is a necessary first cause. And Christians call that necessary first cause God. And that necessary first cause created all that is natural. That necessary first cause created everything that we consider to be 
nature, which means that that necessary first cause is above nature. It is supranatural. It is supernatural. That means that the supernatural is possible. Jesus came along and did miracles. Then he predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and then both came true. And this has been historically documented. We believe that there is a God who created everything. We believe that Jesus represented that God. We believe that that what Jesus said about God can be trusted, and what he said about the scriptures can be trusted. This is the Christian argument for the existence of God. We take Jesus seriously, and it has basically nothing to do with pain and suffering in our world. In our world or the world as a whole. So our experience of pain and suffering is not an argument really against anything. It might call into question if the God of Christianity is a just God, not does the God of Christianity actually exist. If one of my children came to you, and you know, who knows, maybe they've already done this. I don't know. But if one of my children came to you and they complained to you about the unkind, unjust, absent father who just sort of stood around watching and letting bad things happen to them all the time, you would question my goodness. You would not question my existence. The fact that you were talking to one of my children is evidence for my existence. The fact that I treat them so poorly is evidence that I am not a good dad. Okay, having fun? Leads to the next question. Why do we assume if there is God, God must be good and just? Look at all the pain and suffering in the world. Therefore, there is no God. How do we even get to that as a possible equation? Maybe the pain and suffering just means that God is not good or God is not just. That's a really big presupposition that we put into that equation. The big big presupposition is if there is God, God must be good and just. Where did we get that idea in the first place? That God must be good. That God must be just. To leverage goodness and justice against God is to assume that God is good and just. But says who? You? Did did you just make that up? Is that just the way you feel about it? Because if you did just make that up, you really can't hold God accountable to that. The pharaohs in ancient Egypt, they never believed that the gods were good and just. Julius Caesar never believed that the gods were good and just. So why do we assume if there is a God that God must be good and just? The answer is, someone told us that. That's why we believe it. And when you were a child, I bet, probably, someone told you how to pray. Remember? God is good and God is great. And we thank him for our food. That's the kind of 
uh, marginal rhyming that I can excel in. But, but now I know that, that you, someone probably told you that, right? Where did they get that info from? And this is important, and it's really significant when you make this argument. They did not get that information by observing nature. Nature is not good. Nature is not just. Nature is not fair. They didn't get that from the ancient gods. It is actually the exact opposite. The reason that people believed in ancient gods was because of evil and injustice. They looked around at the evil and injustice in their world, and they came up with an explanation. And the explanation was that they blamed all of it on the gods. Evil and injustice in their world is evidence of the presence of the gods in their minds. So if you walked away from faith because of pain and injustice in the world, I'm sure that if I was to hear your story, I would say, who could blame you, right? I'm not blaming you. I know that life can be very hard. Life can be seemingly unforgiving as well. But if you've stepped away from Christianity and into the category maybe of the nuns or into the category of the atheist, and one of your problems was the pain and suffering in the world, I completely get that. I just want you to consider that maybe you stepped away unnecessarily. Because the justice and dignity for all God that we all want to believe exists, the justice and dignity for all version of God was introduced to us by Jesus. Before Jesus, there were local gods, and the local gods kind of liked the local people, but the local gods never loved the local people. They just somewhat uh, protected the local people, and they played with the local people if the local people would make enough of the right kinds of sacrifices. But until Jesus came, there was no concept of a God who loved everybody on the planet. We're so used to hearing it. It it, it just comes up even in the background that it doesn't even affect us anymore how significant that is. But the whole notion that, that John wrote down as he was quoting Jesus who said, for God so loved the world, this idea, this understanding, this way of viewing God came to us from Jesus. And whoever told you that God is a good and just God that loves everybody and, and should treat everybody fairly and because everybody has dignity whether they know it or not, that idea was introduced to the world through Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. The idea that was introduced to the world when there was not, that idea was introduced when there was neither justice nor dignity for anybody. The rich ruled over the poor, the powerful over the non-powerful. If you had the gold, you made the rules. Might made right. In a world where there was neither dignity, um, women, women, women had no place in society. And children, children, they didn't even bother to name children for a significant amount of time because the expectation on their survival was so low. In, In a world where by modern traditions there was no dignity, There was no fairness. There was no justice. 
Into that world stepped Jesus. And he claimed that every single person had dignity. And that that God loved every single person in the world. And then there was the most amazing thing of all. Jesus' first century followers, who paid dearly for their faith, who were treated incredibly unjustly, who were persecuted for believing differently. Jesus' first century followers embraced a God that was good and just in a culture characterized by injustice. How did they do that? And if you've left Christianity because of the issues of pain and suffering in the world, please pay attention to what I'm about to say. If the Christian God had been so fragile as to be able to be argued out of existence based on injustice, the Christian God would never have made it out of the first century. Because for almost 300 years, the followers of the Christian God were persecuted up to and including death. Christianity is not so fragile as maybe you think. Or maybe you have heard others say, there is suffering in the world, therefore there is no God. That is just too easy of a statement to make. And it's, it's so easy to overlook uh, so many hundreds of years of, of individual people's experiences. How do you think Jesus' God survived that first century? There just might be something that you were not told. There there, there might be something that you have not had the chance to fully consider. The the fact that all of these years later, there are Christians around, all around, the entire world speaks to the strength of the theology that the God that Jesus introduced to the world is there. And so John, many years after his time, when Jesus... uh, With Jesus, he wrote these words. He said, dear friends, let us love one another. Well, why would we love one another? Well, it's obviously just what we do, right? Everybody does it, so we should do it. Everyone around where I live in Judea is loving one another, so we should get in on that too. We should all just be nice because that's what everybody else does, right? Why should we love one another? For love comes from God. No, 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 not the gods. Not the God of that nation, But love finds its source. And this was was a game changer. No one had ever said this before. This is being written at a time in history when the author's life was at risk during the writing. It was was being written in the midst of, of John and his friends being treated unjustly. Love one another. Love is from God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you were brought up, if you were taught that there is a loving God, and you, you might not be a religious person kind of at all, you sort of, I just believe in a loving God, right? You need to understand it's not original to you. It's not original with the person who told you. The, this concept was introduced into the world in a time of extraordinary injustice by Jesus which is where the loving God, the God of love, came from. That's the same place where our basis for justice 
comes from. Our basis of justice is that every single person has inherent dignity. These things are not natural. If you exclude God from the conversation and you just look at what's natural, you do not arrive at this destination. Nature is not just. Nature is very unjust. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what, what super smarty pants um, Stephen Hawking says about this. At a, at, a, at a lecture in Cambridge in the 1990s, he said the following, and the implications of this are really quite immense. So this is part of a quote. You can go read the whole thing. It's a long quote. It's on the internet. So you can go find it there. Um, he says, the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. So, Mr. Hawking, yes, why does that keep you up at night? And natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. He goes on to say that the only hope for mankind is that we were able to move to other planets in our galaxy and split up. Because if we don't split up, we'll eventually annihilate ourselves. So come on, Stevie. Can I call you Stevie? Okay, Mr. Hawking. Uh, why would you say that? Why would you ha have that? Is it because of the proliferation of nuclear weapons that we see? Nope. Because someone who deeply believes in natural selection, understands the nature of natural selection. The nature of natural selection is not dignity, and it's not justice, and it's not injustice. It's just completely ambivalent to those things. It's neutral on those things. They're not even categories. Natural selection is survival of the fittest, and regardless of what we think, and regardless of what we think we value, because value is an illusion, mind is an illusion, the will is an illusion. This goes back to week one. At the end of the day, according to someone who deeply believes in nature and what is natural, we will eventually destroy ourselves. Natural law, natural selection um, knows nothing of justice, of love, or dignity. At best, natural selection knows of tolerance. The implications of this, again, are staggering in your worldview. And I'm not saying that um, th this is not, uh, I, can't, I don't think I can say it in a compelling enough way. If you really want to get rid of injustice in the world, if that's really what you want, the best way to get rid of injustice is to rid the world of God. <coughs> because when the God of Jesus is gone, injustice leaves with him. If we could just get rid of this haunting sense that we have of right and wrong, of just and unjust, of, of dignity, of fair and the unfair, just get rid of all that, what would, we, what, would we, what would we be left with? That's nature, which knows neither justice nor injustice. And once there is no objective standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. Do you know why? We are left, do you know what we are left with when we have no objective standard for justice? We're left with my justice, your justice, Nazi justice, ISIS justice, Klan 
justice, majority justice, nature's justice, street justice, rich justice, power justice, social media justice. You have your justice, but, and, and, and I'll have mine, but don't you dare try to tell me that yours should be mine. That's unjust. What we're talking about, well, that's just your justice. How does that relate to me? Why should it even relate to me? It's yours. We have nothing, and we have no one to appeal to when God is removed from the picture. And when we reject God because of injustice in the world, we don't solve injustice. We lose the definition. So what does the God of Jesus have to say about all this? If the God of Jesus really is love, if he really loves everybody, then he must be concerned with all the injustice in the world. Does the God of Jesus address this? Does it come up somewhere? Does he have a solution? And the answer is yes. But we don't like it. In third world countries, they don't have a problem with it. First world countries, whoa, back that thing up there. We don't like the solution of the God of Jesus. But this is hard to get into our heads. And this might be one of those out your amen kind of moments. So here it comes. A complaint is not an argument. A complaint is not an argument. Something can be very uncomfortable and true at the same time. And we get those confused. We, we, we've convinced ourselves that if we don't like it, well, well then, I just don't have to believe that. I can't believe that. There's no way to believe that. I don't like it. But you believe uncomfortable things that are true all the time. This is one of those uncomfortable, true things. If we are to say, God, we don't want you. Go. Leave. Take justice and injustice with you. We, we, we don't want you to, to leave because we need some sort of outside of me standards to appeal to. But, but what's the solution? Is there a solution to pain and suffering and injustice in the world? The answer is yes. Jesus brought us God is love. But that's not all he brought. We love the love part. That one is a good one. We like God loves me. That's good. That came from Jesus, but that's not all that he said. The Jesus who said that God is love also taught, fortunately, that God is just. And here's the part that freaks us out. You've got to take the whole thing or none of it. The part that creeps us out is that Jesus could not have been any more clear. In the future, there will be the very thing that we accuse God of neglecting. Justice for all. But there is no justice without judgment. And this is where our culture runs for cover. Ah, I don't want a judgmental God. What a judgmental God. That's not fair. That's not right. I don't want to believe in that God. I don't want a judgmental God. If you don't want a God who embraces judgment, you do not want justice. And do you know why we resist the whole idea of judgment? Do you know why we resist the whole idea of a God who oversees everything? In my heart, 
and in your heart and in all of our hearts, we know that we fall short. And this idea exposes my hypocrisy. I want justice for you. I want mercy for me. I want justice on you. I want you to pay for everything that you've done to me and everything that you did to my kid and everything you've ever done to my family. I want you to pay for everything that's ever happened to one of my friends. But when I stand before God, I want to be able to state my case. I want God to say, oh, right, now that I've heard your whole story, I get it and I get you. All right, you get a full pass. Come on over here and stand with me. As soon as we introduce the idea that God has to bring about justice through judgment, we get all nervous. We're not nervous for the people who have offended us. I'm nervous for me. That's why the gospel is the perfect narrative. That's why the gospel survived the first, second, third century before it was legal to be a Christian. That's that's why you can't help but look up and think to yourself, who in the world would have made that up? This is why the, the story of the gospel becomes preeminent. It's so powerful. It's so overwhelming. When God saw the state of this world that he had created, when he saw uh, that our freedom has taken us in a direction that he suspected that it would take us, when God saw that we all fell short, we all fell short of our own standards, right? You know you fall short of God's standards, but you can't even keep the laws of Canada, right? We all know that we all fall short. And into that world that fell short, God did not send a judge. He sent a Savior. And he said, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And although the world needs judging, I did not come to judge the world, even though I know that the world is full of evil. I did not come to judge the world, even though my people, my nation, are being treated with extraordinary injustice by Rome. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So if you've taken a step back from Christianity, you need to take another look. If you want an objective standard of justice, nobody gave it to us like Jesus. But God, in his infinite mercy, before he chose to judge, he provided a way to save. And that's amazing. When Jesus was on the planet, he told lots and lots of stories, parables. The kingdom of God kept coming up. That's what kept coming up in his stories. And a parable is a, um, is a story that's not true that you sort of make up to make a point. And that's why you tell it. And in one of those parables, the kingdom of God does come up. And there was once this poor, poor woman who lived in a little village. And she thought, you get justice from the judge. So every day, she would go and she would bang on his door saying, I need justice. Give me justice. Hear my case. And the judge in the parable did not care about people and he did not fear 
God. And all the people listening as Jesus told the story, they kind of look at each other and wink because they go, we all know a judge like that, right? If you don't have anything to bribe the judge, he doesn't even hear your case. So this wasn't fiction to them. They go, yeah, I, I know a woman who was in that same sort of thing. I know, I know a woman who had that same sort of thing happen in her. Day after day after day, she would bang on the door and she waited for him in the parking lot and she hung out on his front porch. And every single day, she begged and begged, justice, justice, justice. Hear my case. Lean in my direction. Give me a break. Cut me some slack. Help me out. I need justice. I need you to do your job as judge and hear my case. And in the parable, the judge decides, you know what? Is there any way to get this woman off my case, off my porch, out of my parking lot? The whole audience kind of leans in again on this story. And they, they know what this kind of story is like. And Jesus looks at them and he says, if you think a wicked unbelieving judge could finally be talked into giving justice that this woman deserves. How much more your Father in heaven? And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? If you feel put off, Jesus understands what it is to be put off. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus returns, will he find men and women who are not getting justice in this world, in this life, but who are in love with the God of justice? Will he find faithfulness on the earth? Will the God of love who cares deeply about you be a God who doesn't judge? That's impossible. If you reject the God of Jesus, you reject the basis for justice. If you, you, you reject the basis for human dignity, you know what you're left with? Biology. Biology will never bring dignity. Biology allows you to have some measure of justice as you seek justice. But if you embrace Jesus, you get dignity now and guaranteed justice later. And besides, think about this. If there was ever anyone who had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. Because the man who taught us that all people have inherent value, that, that they're worth dying for, he was executed by those he died for. He was executed by the very race that he came to give his life for. The man whose definition of good and just is what informs your definition of good and just was treated unjustly. Evil and injustice are not arguments against the existence of God. They are evidence that we desperately need God, that we need grace, that we need mercy. So, so think about this for a second. If you, if you genuinely care about justice, and I believe you do, if you genuinely care about justice, you should want Christianity 
to be true. Because the evil and the injustice of the world, they are, they are nagging reminders that something is wrong. Somehow we know that something is wrong. When you hear about pain and injustice, don't, don't you just have that inner ache that comes up with inside you that, that you long for justice, that, that it's not even attainable in this world? It's something that only a just God can one day provide. And if you're really genuinely concerned about injustice, you need Jesus as God. And one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he said this. Maybe you've heard this before. It's from mere Christianity. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus said that you were made for another world. You were made for the kingdom of God. And you are reminded of that every single day because what you know could be and what you know should be, Jesus said, will be. The injustice, the suffering, the pain, They're not arguments against the existence of God. Suffering and injustice and pain are not arguments. They are reminders that perhaps we all need God. Father, this is such a big, painful subject. For those who say they are Christians and for those who are, who are wondering what that would look like and for those who have you know, very little interest, I know that we all have in common this ache on the inside that longs for it to be better. Father, I believe that is you in us. So would you please fan that flame? Cause that ache that longs for things to be better, to become more clear. Show us you. Remind us of you. Reveal you to us. May we never use the aches and pains of this world, whether they are our aches or the aches of others, to argue against your existence. We recognize you as the author and standard of love and of justice. Share with us today your peace and your hope. Lord Jesus, be near those who ache today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.